Amen. I want to tell you something that we feel led to do um, as a church. We feel called to just move into a season of extraordinary prayer and fasting. Just as a part of our culture. In literally everything that we do, we, we need to be about more prayer, more seeking the Father. It's his heart, it's his mission, it's his church. And so uh, there's going to be moments in our services. I pray that there are more moments in your city groups. I pray that your, your triads are, are praying. There's going to be moments even in Equip where we, just, we have just a, some time of prayer because there's nothing more important that we do than to connect with the Father, right? And uh, for him to give us his heart for people. So uh, I'm excited about that. Hey, well, good morning. You guys don't look too sleepy. Come on. You look great. We did it. Woo! Everybody's like, woo Here for the donuts. I'm here for the donuts. No, I'm glad you're here. So thankful for you and grateful for what God is doing in our church. Amen? Jesus didn't call us to put on good services. We want to. We want to honor God in all things. But having a good service is not what Jesus called us to. He called us to make disciples. And so as a church, uh, in fact, I'm just going to tease this a little bit so that you'll come to equip. Uh, I'm going to tell you over and equip when we get started why we changed our time. I'm going to explain it to you, okay? I'm not going to do it now. See what I'm doing there? Come on over to equip and I'll explain it all. It'll all make perfect sense and uh, you'll be so excited you'll get up an extra 30 minutes to next week. So we've been in a series in Ephesians. Do you have your Bibles? Get those ready in Ephesians. We've been talking about this beautiful letter that Paul is writing, that God has given to Paul through Paul's heart for these people, for these believers, these churches all around Ephesus. We've talked about beautiful things, uh, about uh, the blessings we have, about God's love for us, our identity in Christ, the life that we have in Christ, that phrase used so many times in this letter, more than any other letter. And today, i got to tell you, we're talking about one of the most beautiful descriptions of the gospel that there is in the Bible. In fact, as I've been working on it in the last few days especially, my prayer is, God, don't let me mess this up. <laughs> let me stay away enough away from this that I can just hold up the beauty of this text, that people can see your word and see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. I mean, this is, this is not a hard message to preach, can I tell you? This is just, I just got to give it to you. I just want to read it for you, try to explain a few things, but I pray that God and his spirit lead us to know the truth of what he's telling us about this beautiful gospel we have in Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read uh, all of it, then we're going to come back and unpack it, verses 1 through 10. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you were uh, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, <laughs> but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, we love you so much. What a beautiful text to dig into today. To be reminded of who we were when we were dead without you, Lord. To be reminded of that moment where you stepped in and interrupted the sinfulness of our lives with Jesus. And you rescued us, God. Thank you. God, thank you that you are doing a work in us. You're, you're creating disciples in us, Father. You're wanting us to be your disciples. God, thank you that even as we've sung this morning, this is not something we deserve. This is not something we can earn. Your grace and salvation to us is a gift you've given us, Lord. A gift. We can't, we can't take any credit. And so, Father, thank you. We just want to say thank you for the beautiful gift of salvation. And, Lord, we pray that you would lead us to know what to do with that gift. To be reminded that you're going to love us for all eternity. And that you have a purpose for our lives, not only redeeming us from our past, but you have a purpose in our future and a purpose in our present right now to walk in these works that you've given us and you've planned for us. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you help me not to mess this up. That I would decrease in this time, oh God, and that you would increase. And that Spirit of the living God, you would show us the truth of your word and guide us to that truth. We love you so much. We give you this time. It's for your glory. We pray and we say amen. So here's Paul. He uh, starting chapter two off with a little reminder of who we, who we were. I, I, I toyed with the idea uh, of putting up a picture of me. I had, I had several seasons of mullets. And I didn't know which season of mullet to pick the picture of. But none of them are good. This is why you're not seeing a picture of me with a mullet right now. Yes, you're welcome. Do you ever feel like that? You're going through pictures or Facebook throws up something. You're like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's not always fun to look back at who we were. Right? It's not always fun to look back at some of those pictures or remember some of those memories. And it's definitely not fun as a believer in Jesus to go back and remember the sinfulness of our lives. To remember the depth of our depravity. To remember those addictions to remember those places, to remember that lack of care or concern for the things of God. It's not fun to look back at those things unless we can see them and be reminded of that but God moment, right? Then we can smile. Then we can have joy because that's not who I am anymore. Hallelujah. That's not who I am. And so I think this is a kind of a beautiful reminder Paul is Linking us back to, to who we used to be. He uses this word on the very first verse, and. Which immediately links us to last week, right? And last week we were talking about knowing Christ. Knowing the hope that we have in the gospel. Knowing uh, the blessings that we have with one another as the family of God. And, 
and, and knowing the power that we have to access this amazing God and all that he has for us. So those are the things we talked about last week. And we were uh, talking about the 15 descriptors. Paul gives 15 descriptors of his power last week, right? And the last one being this, that he's the head of the church and that we are the body together, the head and the body together fill all things. Isn't that beautiful? That means as believers in Christ, you have a purpose. God is working something in us. And it's not just to show up and click off that you went to church. It's that all of your life belonged to Jesus and you be on a mission. And you know what God has done from your past when the, you were that person to the future of, of his glorious eternity that he's going to bless us. But right now he's got a purpose and a plan that he wants to use you for. And I pray with all of my heart that we wake up, church, that we'll wake up to the beauty of the purpose and the works that God has for us. So we, we talked about uh, uh, our position. <laughs> We've used the word, Paul's used the word a couple of times, saints, and it's hard to think about a saint and consider yourself one. But if you know Jesus, that's who you are. Because being a saint is not based on what you've done. Being a saint is based on what he's done. You didn't make you a saint. He made you a saint. So when we look back on our sin, we go, oh gosh, I don't know if I could ever be, uh, you know. Don't do it. Let it go to the forgiveness and grace of Jesus and realize that it's his work on the cross that has given you that heavenly position with him as a saint. It's not something you've done. And to remind us it's not something you've done, I want us to look into the first part of this text this morning about who we were. I'm going to give you seven uh, little points to the message today. This one is, we were dead. Operative word in the text this morning in the first verse is, were, right? This is not who we are now. We are no longer dead. Paul is speaking to people in Christ, believers in Jesus. They are not dead people. They are people who have been made alive. He says, but there was a time in your life where you walked as a, as a walking dead, Yes, you were alive. Yes, you might have been fruitful in different aspects, but you didn't know Jesus. You were dead. When he uses the word walked, it's kind of the same thing as saying you lived in this way. This was your norm. In the very nature of who you were, you walked as a dead person without Christ. You lived as a dead person without Christ. He said you walked in trespasses and sin. Now, those are not the same thing. Sometimes we think they're the same thing, but I want to explain it in just a minute. If you come up to somebody's land and there's a fence and it says no trespassing, and you go, huh, no trespassing, that means I'm not supposed to go in there. I think, I think I'll go in there. You climb up the fence and you go over and you go into the land. You have willfully made a choice to trespass. Trespass is a willful decision, right? Sin, the Greek word for sin, means literally that you just missed the mark. You could never measure up to it. God in his perfection and his requirements, we could never get there. So sin, by even by nature, we cannot uh, do away with our sin because we, we miss the mark. That's what that means. So it's things we mean to do and just part of who we are is sin. It's because of those things we are walking in this fallen condition, right? Romans 5, 17 says this, therefore, as one trespass, speaking of Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Speaking of Jesus, 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Remember what God said to Adam in the garden? He said, don't eat of this fruit. You eat of this fruit and you will surely die. Adam and Eve climb over the fence to say, don't trespass. Okay, I'll climb over the fence and I'll eat the fruit that you said don't eat. And guess what happens? They, They die. And with them, we died. They infected all of the world with this disease called sin. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, You've been walking in the course of this world. This is just the nature of this fallen condition. That's the course of the world. He says you're being led by the prince of the air. He's speaking about Satan. You know, this, this phrase can be translated uh, foggy atmosphere, prince of a foggy atmosphere. In other words, darkness, prince of darkness. So, number one, we live in a fallen condition. We're being influenced by the enemy, Satan, who is the prince of darkness. And he also creates this opportunity. It's a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's his influence in our lives, giving us opportunity for sinfulness. Connects with our fallen condition and the enemy against us. And man, we don't have any hope. We have no hope apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 3, as we continue in our text. says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now I want you to see something. Pronouns here. We did this the other day. When when he begins, Paul in verse 1, chapter 2, and you were dead. You Gentiles in Ephesus, you were dead. But then in verse 3 he says, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh. Right? We're not, you're not the only one guilty, we're all guilty. And then he takes it even further, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is making it clear there's no people group on earth that has righteousness. Right? The Bible even says, in our righteousness, which could be considered the very best that we could be. I mean, just if you, you've had the best day, you feel like you haven't had one bad thought, you've not done anything wrong, it's just the best thing you can be. The Bible calls that day of yours as filthy rags before a holy God, right? That's what our righteousness is. It doesn't measure up. And so he's saying we're all guilty. You, we, all of mankind, guilty, right? So he talks about this. He kind of is defining what his conversation in Romans 3 is. Romans 3 says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Friends, we were dead. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning and you're listening to me, you are dead. Whether it's Things you've done in in your body, whether it's thoughts you've had with your mind, we are sinful people. We're a dead people. And it's because of that sinfulness that we have that makes us enemies of God. We've talked about this before. God can't be near sinfulness. (laughs) 
And as soon, Mel, take you back to the garden. So Adam and Eve, they sin, they hide from God, and ultimately God kicks them out of the garden. And he guards the garden with a flaming sword, kind of saying to Adam and Eve, you're now my enemy, right? Your sinfulness has caused this animosity between us. You are now children of wrath. You have now made these mistakes. You are now, sinfulness is now between us. And now we're enemies of God, which is going to incur his wrath. But look at Romans 5, 9. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. How do we get away from the wrath of God? How do we get away from being enemies of God? Only by the blood of Jesus. That's our only hope, right? Continuing our text, Ephesians 4, uh, 2, 4 says, and I love this phrase, but God. It's an interruption in that way of life. It's an interruption in the sinfulness of who we have been, who we are. But God, and I want to notice this too, we don't change in that moment. That interruption isn't caused by us. We don't go from being dead and go, you know what, I think I need to just make some changes. I just really want to be different. I want, I want to just turn around. No, sorry. John 6, says that's not what happens. The Father draws us to himself. So God in his love for us, but God interrupts the sinfulness of our lives. He interrupts us, makes us aware of his presence. He steps in. He reaches out to us, but why? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why would God do such a thing for these sinful people? Well, he tells us. I'm going to give you a little cheater here as we get into it. It's because of his mercy, his love, his grace, and his kindness. The text says, being rich in mercy. I love that phrase because it juxtaposes the reality of our lives, which is we are bankrupt in sin. That's all we have is sinfulness apart from Christ. The condition of the world, the enemy against us, the spirit at work within this disobedient reality of who we are. But God being rich in mercy, he wants to give us mercy. Doesn't want to hold it against us. He wants to give us mercy. He also says because of his great love. And then he goes further to explain it. With which he has loved us. Right? It's that, it's that double uh, definition or double mention, emphasis. Because of his great love with which he's loved us. That even when we were dead in our sin, we didn't come to him. He came to us. We didn't clean up. He saved us in our mess. Romans 5, 8 says a very similar thing. Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our mess. In the middle of the junk of our lives. In the middle of being enemies of God. He shows great love for us. I just love the fact that at my worst, God loved me. When you think back to that life of sin, you think about your worst, the reality that God loves you at your worst. 
Can I just encourage, especially I'm, I want to talk to marriages just for a minute. Sometimes we need to look at our spouse and love them at their worst. I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for how she loves me, how she forgives me, how she leads me to Jesus so often. There are times where Lori will say, that's not who you are. <laughs> she just says, I'll say some dumb comment. She'll go, that's not who you are. Don't let that come out of your mouth. Don't think that way. Don't be that person. She helps raise me up. There are times that I know if there's anybody in the world that's seen me at my worst, it's her. And she's loved me at my worst. She has loved me with which, of the love with which she has been loved by God. And I just want to encourage some of our marriages today, you might need to love your spouse with the same love that God has loved you at your worst. At your worst. Here's the next thing that we see. We were dead, but God <laughs> made us alive together with Christ. I think of this picture of these heart paddles, right? When, when somebody's going into AFib or, or they're trying to bring them back and they bring these paddles. This is God. He steps into our mess. Bam! Ugh. Right? He wakes us up to the goodness and grace of who he is. He wakes us up. He made us alive together with Christ. What that means is the same power, we talked about this last week, that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that raises you from your mess. That's the same. The same power that got Christ out of the grave gets you out of the mess of life into his salvation. He makes you alive together with Christ. And then the next one is, by grace we have been saved. This is kind of like Paul saying, this is what happens when you're saved. Look what happens. He raises us up with him from death to life. And then he gives us this position as saints. He seats us with him in heavenly places, right? The same spirit that raised Christ from the, from the dead and seats him next to the Father. We are with him. So now not only have we been saved and, and been given life from death, we now have a position seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we go, no, I'm right here. I'm here in South City. <laughs> it's hard to get an understanding of that, isn't it? It's this concept of the now and the not yet. Right now, you're right here, yet you have an eternal position, if you know Jesus, that is seated with Christ. It's this understanding that there's this twofold reality of life. It's this getting part of this inheritance of the Spirit now, but we're going to receive all of it later. It's the living in and not of this world. We are seated with Christ. We have a position with him, and yet we have to walk out the rest of our days here for a purpose. We'll get to that in just a minute. What I love about this right here, and this is so good, <laughs> I've just been chewing on this. It's not only what God has done in our past when we were sinners, but there's also this promise of what he's going to do in our future. It says, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, in other words, 
100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, a million years from now, a billion years from now. I, I love what Skip Heitzig said. He said in this phrase, God loves you so much, it will take all of eternity for him to show you how much. Can you wrap your brain around that? He loves us so much, it's going to take all eternity for in his kindness to show his love and kindness and mercy in Jesus to us. That's how long it's going to take. That's how rich in mercy, in kindness, in love he is for us. We're so blessed, and we have to live in the now and the not yet. Look at the next verse, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now, again, for emphasis, he says things that are really important. Make sure you got that. I'm going to say it again. Parents, you ever have to do that? When did I say your homework has to be done? By 8.30. And it's like we, we say these things over and over again to make sure people hear it. Paul's giving emphasis here. You, it's the second time he said it. You are saved by grace. But this time he adds this, through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. This is sort of like the how of being saved. The first one was sort of like the what. This is sort of like the how. He says you've been saved through, by grace through faith. In other words, God gives us a freedom to accept a gift or not. He gives us an awareness of who he is, that he loves us, and you get to, you get to make this choice. Do I, do I want to follow Christ? Do I want to be his? Do I want to surrender my life to him? But, but make no mistake, this is not some work that you have to do. This is not some uh, qualifier that you have to work for, which almost every other religion has. Right? Uh, Mormons... Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, all these other religions have this works-oriented faith built into it, not Christianity. Because we know that the best of our works is as filthy rags before God. We have nothing. No one is righteous. There is no hope apart from Christ. He's our only hope. And in the gift of salvation by Jesus' death on the cross, we choose, we have faith. We believe. Jesus said it this way, John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. <laughs> what do you have to do? You, just, you have to believe. He's done all the work, but you have to believe. And God wants you to know. Now, there's no way to look at this text today and not see the loving heart of God. Do you see that? This unbelievable, compassionate, mercy, love, grace, grace grace. He just, he keeps repeating these things. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is the heart of God. That is his heart this morning for you. If you don't know Christ, this morning, if, you, if you've never trusted Jesus, you've never had that faith, you've never believed, that is his hope for you, that you would believe, that you would reach repentance. The next thing is this, it's not of your doing. It's a gift of God. I got a buddy in Conway who's so much better at gift giving than me. I'm not really good at it. Um, but occasionally I'll get a gift. Even this Christmas I got a little gift in the, pack, in the package in the mail. I was like, oh, it's always so nice to get a gift. I didn't order this. What is, you know? He sends me like coffee and a little journal. It's just, he's just kind. 
and I love him for it. It's so, it's so, it makes me feel so loved. I didn't do anything to get the gift. He just loves me. In fact, that's the nature of a gift. If you have to earn something, that's like a wage. That's not a gift. If you have to work for something, you're going to get paid for it. To get something for nothing is a gift. God gives this gift freely to you. Paul puts it this way in Romans eleven six. But if by grace it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's not about works. And I, let me just say this to you. We have to be careful of our theology. We've got to be careful we don't make it meology. We do that real quick. All of us do. Because what the theology is the study of God. Meology is the study of what I think maybe God said. That's not what we need to be. We, we need to trust his word, not what we feel about it. What, not our own understanding, these little finite minds. I got a friend, she's uh, really more part of a charismatic Pentecostal uh, tradition, and I love their family very much. We're dear friends. But I've seen her post a lot of things about make sure, you know, if you know Christ, you make sure you don't sin, you don't want to end up in hell. Like there's this fear that if at some moment I got to live, I can't sin. If I sin at this moment and all of a sudden I die, too late for me. What a nerve-wracking reality to think that your salvation, your eternity is based on, oh, I'm going to be perfect. No. It never was based on you. It never was based on your work or your ability to uphold something. Jesus gives it as a gift. It's not because of our works. Can I just say this? That's why grace is so scandalous. I don't really like that word. But it works. We don't want to accept it. We don't want to, it's hard to understand. Wait, I, the, the sinner on the cross, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, he did nothing but say, remember me. And Jesus said, done. Forgiven. After all he had done, grace covered that man. And grace covers this man. It's hard to believe sometimes. It makes us uncomfortable and unworthy. When I get presents from my friend Myron, that's the first thing I go to, like, I didn't get him anything. Dang it. I feel bad when I get something because I wish I'd have gotten him something. But I didn't. It's a free gift. Be careful with your theology. It's, it's uh, not unlike the story of uh, the prodigal son. You know the story? The problem is in the church we've made it about a prodigal son and not the prodigal sons. Because they're, bro- they're both wayward. They're both sinful. One leaves and lives a life of sin, but praise God, comes to his senses and comes back. And the father does, uh, says to him what God says to us when we get saved. My son was dead, but now he's alive. And then we kind of just don't worry about the rest of the story. But Jesus told another part of the story, didn't he? The older brother says, oh, oh wait a minute. I've been living perfectly. I do everything right. I do everything you told me to do. And you're going to throw him the party? See, they both didn't get grace and they were both prodigal sons and you can be on either side of the fence you may be somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of experience and so you feel a little bit more judgmental a little bit more righteous of the things that you haven't done and you may be over here on the other side going I've done everything and God has forgiven me praise God for his grace grace is scandalous it's not something we earn if you didn't earn it if you didn't do anything to get it You can do nothing to lose it. 
But if you did in fact receive it, listen to this. If you did in fact receive God's grace, then it will motivate you to live from it. Our motivation matters, okay? It matters. If you've truly understood the reality that you were dead and God has made you alive, he has interrupted your life with grace and mercy and love and kindness for all eternity, he's rescued you from a very real place called hell. If you realize that, if you know that, He's given you this free gift of salvation. You will want to serve him. I love the story. We were talking to our girls just the other night over dinner about the woman who came to Jesus. She was a prostitute. She had lived a life of sin. And she falls at Jesus' feet. And she begins to worship with her tears. Her tears wash his dirty feet from the dusty roads. And then with the Bible calls a woman's hair her glory. Physically, it's the greatest thing that she can have, and she lets down the greatest thing she has to wash, to dry his feet. So she's washed his feet with emotionally all she has. And then she's dried his feet with physically all she has. And then it says she anoints his feet with oil that is very expensive, and so she's done this emotionally and physically and financially. God, everything I have and everything I am, And everything within me worships you. That's somebody who understands grace. When we we begin to enter into worship like that, we understand what Christ has done in our lives. And it motivates us to live for him. Here's the last thing, and we're going to quit. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His workmanship, the Greek word here, here is poema. And it literally, it's where we get the English word poem. But it means more than just a poem. Really what it is is a works of art. So anything that your mind comes to is a work of art. A painting, a poem, a song. As an artist, I really, I love this. <laughs> I get into this. This is God's work of art. And not just a work of art, it's his masterpiece. Some of your translations use the word, that's my favorite translation. We are his masterpiece. When you think of all the beautiful things that God has created, right? Mountainscapes, your your child, newly born, the love that we have for one another, our family. I mean, there's just so many beautiful experiences God has given us. And yet, Paul tells us his greatest crowning achievement is the human heart that's been regenerated by his grace and living on mission with a purpose in the works that he's giving us to do. That's his greatest work. Greater than the angels. Greater than anything he's created is someone who's been rescued by his grace and living for him. This is how we should live. Paul says he uses this word walk. He used it in the very first verse. You once walked in this way. In other words, you once lived in a sinful, death-oriented way. Look what he says in the very last verse. This is how we should walk. This is how we should live. He uses the same word. You once lived this way, but this is how you ought to live now. As his masterpiece. As his work of art. Now listen, the works that we do, those aren't the things that save us. We've got to be reminded of that. Because your me theology, right? Your meology will start going, I gotta keep it up. I gotta. Yes, we serve the Lord. 
Yes, we honor the Lord, but not out of the reality that we think we're, if we don't, we're not going to be saved. No, that's the work of Christ. We serve Jesus out of the motivation of what he's done for us, out of his grace. I like the way that uh, Tony Meredith says, works are not the root of our salvation, but the fruit of our salvation. They don't secure our salvation. They are proof of our salvation. That's what Jesus said, John 15, 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How's the fruit? How's the fruit coming? It's not the root of our life in Christ. It's the fruit of our lives. Christians, can I just say this to you? God has prepared good works for you. They're waiting on you. They're waiting on you. God's got them in store. In the same way, in the beginning of our text, Paul said, we walked in trespasses and sin. Now we walk in Christ. He's done this miraculous work because of his love, because of his grace, because of his kindness. And now we walk in a lifestyle of obedience, of his blessings, with his people to do the work he has for us because that's the purpose of our life. How often do we sit back and go, what is, what is my life about? What, why am I here? Friend, can I just tell you, just look at this verse. In fact, I think there's a couple of these verses you ought to memorize. I said that the other day and my city group leader took it serious and we worked for half of our time at city group memorizing some scripture. Thank you, Leslie. I, I have a feeling we'll be doing that tonight as well. It's good. Verse 8 and verse 10 would be two great ones to start with. But if we know who we are, we are his masterpiece. That gives us value and reminds us of where we once lived and the rescue that happened in our lives because God interrupted the sinfulness of our lives and saved us and he'll continue for the rest of eternity to bless us and remind us of how much he loves us. But right now you have work to do. And Christians, the Western church doesn't know anything about that for the most part. We just want to show up. Let me just show up and click it off my list. Okay, and I can go home and back to my life. No, your life exists for the work God has prepared for you. Now, we have to be disciples who make disciples. That's the reason we're doing Equip. It's not an extra little program of the church. It is the church. It's just another little name for part of us being the church together. I so hope you'll come. I so hope you'll take it serious. I love this and then I'm going to quit. I love the story of Michelangelo. He's standing before a, a big block of stone. He's got his chisel and somebody says, what are you making? What are you doing? And his answer is, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. <laughs> Isn't that good? He could see it. It was beautiful. It was a masterpiece. Some of you just feel like a big chunk of stone. God, you can do anything with this. I mean, this is just, I'm just a big rockhead. And God goes, oh no. I see a disciple maker. I see a worship leader. I see a pastor. Right? I, I see a missionary. I see a neighbor who's going to love their neighbor. I see a mom and dad living for Jesus. And he starts chiseling away on the roughness of who we have been to make us who he wants us to be. Praise God we are no longer dead. God has a plan for our lives and has interrupted us 
Can I just, I want to say this before we close. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you don't know Christ, you probably recognize that you're just living however you want. I'll make the, whatever decision I want because I'm God of my life. If I desire something with my body, I'll do it with my body. If I desire something with my mind, I'll think about it with my mind. That's where it starts and usually then goes to our bodies and our decisions. You're living in lostness. You're living by the fallenness of this world, by the course of the world. You have an enemy that's going, yeah, come on in. The water's fine. Try this. God doesn't, didn't mean what he said. And you've bought a lie of deception. But guess what? But God. <laughs> but God, no matter how deep the sin is in your life, no matter how broken you have become, but God reaches out to you in his rich mercy, in his great love, in his wonderful grace, in his kindness, he'll show you for the rest of eternity. Do you believe? Are you motivated with the rest of your life because of that grace? Or are you just throwing it away and continuing to live out of death? If you don't know Christ, I pray that today would be the day you would trust him, that you would know him, that you would receive this unbelievable gift of God. Would you do that? What a beautiful text we've had today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this unbelievable truth that we are loved by you. God, thank you for the way that you give us your grace and your rich mercy and your love and your kindness. Your word says, I'm just reminded, God, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, if there's somebody in our, in our room today that doesn't know the love of Christ, all they know is living for themselves. All they know is sinfulness, Lord Jesus. Remind them by the spirit of the living God how kind you are. And let your kindness lead them to repentance, which means turn the other direction. Stop doing it your way and start living life God's way. God, may we be a repentant people with a purpose to live our lives, giving you glory, being on mission, caring for one another, and being fully satisfied in you. Jesus, you said you want to give us abundant life. The thief wants to kill and steal and destroy, but you want to bring us real life. God, may we understand that and walk in it. I pray in the name of Jesus, may we take hold of it. May we receive this grace through faith. May we believe. May we walk in the works you have prepared for us. We love you. I pray that right now, God, if anybody is being convicted of the Holy Spirit, if anybody needs to get serious about their relationship with you, Jesus, if anybody needs to lay down their plans and say, God, it's not about my plans. I need to follow your plans. I need to serve you. I pray that they would come to this altar or wherever they are and just come before you, Lord, in honesty, authenticity, brokenness, and confession, and that we would see you work by that same grace today in us. That is our prayer, Lord Jesus, come. Move us to know you more, to surrender to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.